Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to you all. This is the Business Day Spotlight, your destination for African business made simple. My name is Muriwa Gavaza, and for today, we do get into a conversation that I think is going to be quite uh, informative uh, just around what's going on in the medical sector, uh, both uh, in the local context, uh, but uh, more importantly, broader um, across the continent that is Africa. And uh, we're going to be chatting about uh, the World Economic Forum, uh, which recently ended that platform, you know, and its place when it comes to, um, I guess, advancing some of these agendas around medicine. And then, you know, hopefully we can also get an idea of uh, where the medical fraternity stands uh, on an economic basis on the continent. And to help us uh, to walk through this uh, conversation, uh, we are joined by uh, Dr. Ernest Darko, who is uh, co-founder of the Broadreach Group and is actually a board director of uh, the Schwab Foundation for Social Entrepreneurship. Ernest, greetings to you today. Greetings, Budiwa. Thank you for having me on your show. Uh, a good place for us to start is always uh, context uh, that uh, our experts are coming from. So Broadreach Group, uh, maybe if you could give us some insight into the organization. My pleasure. Uh, the Broadreach Group, um, we are 20 years old actually this year, and we're a social enterprise concerned with improving health and well-being of underserved populations around the world. And we believe that um, we can accomplish this uh, by through innovation and through technology. Uh, I think those can be big enablers for us really achieving uh, improved health and wellness for populations. Uh, and we do believe um, in, 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 in that health is a basic human right. And without it, people are not able to flourish, are not able to thrive. So to the extent that we address healthcare, we can then address all of the other sustainable development goals because the foundational requirement for us to do anything else um, that we need to accomplish. So we take this work very, very seriously. And we also feel that it's an imperative that we get a lot more things right um, in our lifetimes so that we can uh, actualize uh, the aspirations that we have related to things like the sustainable development goals. I often tell the story that uh, I come out of uh, Rhodes Business School that's uh, in the Eastern Cape at Rhodes University. And uh, a big theme at the business school is sustainability. And a couple of years ago, or when we were when we were there, there was a big drive. Um, literally, the, the motto of the school is leadership for sustainability. And a big piece of what we used to learn back then and some of the work that we used to do in and around Grahamstown at the time was around social social entrepreneurship and trying to solve some of these big societal issues through sustainable business models. And I'm very keen because uh, Broadreach is in that sector to understand how you guys define social enterprise because I'm sure that then lends itself to how you guys approach the work that you guys do? Yeah, so we we view social enterprise really as, as people who have figured out market-based mechanisms to solve some of these big societal challenges in a large scale and ideally sustainable way. Why this is important is that 
for better or for worse, I think we've all signed on to the to the concept of markets and the concept of of what creates economic growth and what creates jobs, etc., and what creates productivity of countries. For better or worse, we've all signed on to that, right? So if we do not solve some of these problems, for example, we end up in situations where, for example, we have high unemployment, um, high degrees of crime, you know, uh, lack of basic services like water, electricity, et cetera. All of these things then in turn feed into you having poor health. And then when you also have poor health, for example, you can't work, you can't, uh, you know, be productive in the economy, et cetera. So it becomes, all these things feed off of each other, right? So for us, um, social entrepreneurship uh, it plays a really critical role in that this is, it's, it's a private sector model but in a way, I'd say it's a, it's we're, you know, almost like this needs to be almost like private sector 2.0 in the sense that, you know, you can't just focus on making high profits and be damned with everything else. You, you yes, you should make a profit because otherwise you're not a go, you're not sustainable. You're not a going concern if you're not if your incomings are less than your outgoings. You're not sustainable. You're bankrupt. You can't actually function. So at any level, you have to at least make one cent of profit, for example, to just be viable. However, we need to be solving these big problems concurrently. We cannot let them keep persisting. And I think COVID to me was one of the most graphic examples and, and tangible examples of why we need to solve these problems. So for example, when COVID started, we said people must isolate, right? Uh, people must practice good hygiene. Requirement for good hygiene is water, right? In the townships where you've got no running water, how do you do that? So meaning COVID is going to spread like crazy, right? Isolate. You're supposed to isolate, but if you don't have proper housing, how do you isolate, right? Also, if you don't have electricity, um, how do you isolate? Because you cannot keep food. That goes bad. So you have to go seek food every day by definition, if you don't have electricity, meaning you cannot isolate because you have to actually go out and look for food each day because you can't store it. So we can see how all these things are tied together. And therefore, to me, healthcare is, if we don't address these, what we call social drivers of health, the social determinants of health, we don't address them, as well as, of course, treating sick people as they need to. We are basically going to have a lot of trouble. And we saw that come with COVID because these are things we've not addressed systematically for decades. right? And all of a sudden now this stuff came back to bite us because that population in the township who nobody really cared about, when they become a source of continuous disease and continuous infection that will, will keep the pandemic going, now all of a sudden you realize why you needed to have been concerned about addressing their needs, right? So business models that can solve that, I mean, truly solve them, not just band-aids on the top, but truly solve them are critical for us to now figure out how to engage with and how to scale up. Because I think that if we're going to have a hope of a future where things are more equitable, where we are, where we are actually protected, for example, against most of these local and global threats, it means we actually are forced to address these things once and for all. And I think COVID is a wake-up call for why we need to address them. You can't keep ignoring them saying, yeah, it's happening to them, it's not happening to me, right? Because COVID showed it didn't matter who it was happening to, it could still get you. You know, we saw billionaires with nowhere to go. There's no other planet you can run to, right? And we saw billionaires die. We saw presidents die on this continent, right? <laughs> because they could not go anywhere, right? And so COVID showed that 
you needed to care about the least and the and the, your smallest person and your biggest person in the country equally from this perspective. And therefore, to me, people who have solutions to these types of problems, I mean, you should, we should be lined up outside their door, asking them to come in and help us scale up those solutions. Now, you and I are having this conversation, Ernest, on the back of uh, the State of the Nation address, which was held, um, you know, we're recording this on Friday the 10th, and State of the Nation was on Thursday the 9th in the evening. And government is facing a lot of challenges in South Africa. Uh, inequality, poverty, education, unemployment, those are the big issues, uh, systemically at least, that are being, um, uh, that need to be tackled. Um, on that level. What place then do you see, particularly in healthcare? Uh, because when you look at, let's say, a country like South Africa, because we have to always place everything within context, we're looking at things locally, but also at the same time, if we take a pan-Africanist approach um, across the continent, what place do you see social enterprise playing um, when it comes to answering some of those big questions, particularly around healthcare? Because when you look at South Africa, for example, you have a very strong private healthcare system, and uh, some would actually even argue, relative to other countries on the continent, that there is a good public health system in place. When you put it in relation to what's going on, um, you know, in the rest of the continent, what place does social enterprise, maybe organizations like Broadreach, then play? Um, you know, when it comes to bridging some of those gaps, because as good as things are, they're not perfect and there's still lots of gaps uh, that need to be filled. And with this one, I'm, I'm very keen to get maybe a practical sense of some of the business models that you guys have actually come up with. So um, social, as you mentioned, right, all these things are tied together and we, the State of the Nation address touched on, you know, issue inequality, poverty, education. All of those things, if you have problems with them, then by definition, you're going to have bad health, right? These are the taps that, in essence, spill out bad health, right? When I have poverty, it creates people who are unhealthy. Lack of education means I do not have opportunities. Lack of opportunity means I don't have income. Lack of income means I'm poor. Now you're back at poverty. Poverty creates then, you know, uh, lack of safety, lack of, you know, um, security, um, exposes you to disease, right? So. If you don't address those drivers, um, in essence, you have taps on full blasts that are creating bad health. And then you have to now also address the bad health using through your hospitals, your clinics, et cetera, right? Which is the formal health sector, which you mentioned. So when you talk about, for example, the private sector having being quite still relatively decent, um, the public sector is struggling in relative terms, yes, better than many African countries, but still, um, when you compare it to global standards, you know, still falling well, well below. You need to address both of these. So you have to have solutions on all of these sides. You have to have solutions that tough the tap, and then you have to have solutions that mop up what has come out of the tap that's already on the, on the ground, right? And social entrepreneurs have solutions on both of these sides of the fence. They have solutions. Uh, for po around poverty, they have solutions for education. Um, they have, you know, solutions to deal with discrimination, you know, a lack of equity. Um, they have solutions to deal with climate and environment, etc. And then uh, there's many, many social entrepreneurs have for the curative side of healthcare, for the hospitals, the clinics, the health system that needs to actually treat disease and things that have gone wrong. There's 
many, many different solutions, everything from data systems to, you know, devices that can help you take healthcare um, into rural areas more effectively. You have things like telemedicine, for example, where now I don't necessarily have to have a big hospital in that location, but I can still see patients from with a specialist sitting like where we are. I could be treating any someone across the world, by the way, right, if I need to. We, so we have solutions that can bridge some of these traditional challenges that we have. So I always say, when we talk about healthcare, I think the big, big, big mistake we make is when we isolate healthcare to purely the curative side, because the reason why we're having problems on the curative side is that we've not switched off the taps that are creating all of this bad health and disease and suffering. We're not switching them off. And switching them off is part of healthcare. Remember, the WHO defines health as the state of physical, social, and mental well-being, not just the absence of infirmity or disease. So anything that's dealing with physical, mental, and social well-being is also part of health delivery. And often we find we, we completely leave that alone, and that we leave to a fragmented set of players who are not cooperating at all in any way, even though they're tied together, as we've seen, but they don't act like they're tied together. And then on the curative side, we again now are struggling with more and more and more disease that we have to treat. So to give you a very practical example, I arrived in South Africa in 2006. And at that time, I think we're talking about 3.9 million people who had HIV. Now in South Africa, we probably have the, one of the biggest and most successful HIV treatment programs in the world. But we have 8 million people with HIV now, out from that 3.9 million, it's gone to 8 million. And yes, we have 5 million on treatment. Right? So imagine if we had actually stopped new infections at 3.9, right? Imagine if we had actually succeeded in stopping new infections. We wouldn't need to have 5 million people on treatment right now, right? So although, we're, yes, it's a quote-unquote success, it is success against mopping up a thing that is ever-increasing. And at some point, it becomes untenable. You cannot have this much disease spilling out of these taps when you're not switching off the tap. No system in the world will be able to fix this at some point. So we need to be concerned with, are we switching off the taps? Are we addressing poverty? Are we addressing education? You know, really understand, these are the things that drive bad health and we need to get those as right as then we need to do on the curative side. And on the curative side, because the, the resources we have are so much less than anybody else on the planet on a per capita basis to address them, we have no option but to be super innovative in terms of solving these challenges. Because we're not gonna solve them the same way America or Canada or Europe does. Um, and even they're struggling, they're not doing well, right? So we're using the same models is not gonna work for us in any case. So we have to figure out with what we have, how can we do a lot better? So I always say, if you were sitting here with the worst um, burdens of disease on the planet, why aren't we, why isn't it a priority to switch off the tap first to say do we need more of it you know in order to say now we need more doctors and nurses etc it takes 30 years to create a doctor right probably takes another 30 years also to create a nurse because remember a doctor isn't um just the training of that person it's creating that from birth shining up from birth to becoming a doctor right <laughs> that's what creates a doctor right so it's not just start with oh medical school how do people go to medical school you right so it, we are not going to solve it with traditional means like we're going to we're going to hire enough doctors and even if we do they're not going to go live in the rural areas 
where there's no resources and schools for their kids, et cetera, right? I always say we send people to train abroad and then we expect them to come live in a village where they're going to have bucket baths. That's not going to happen, right? So we need to figure out for our context, what's going to work. The first best thing, the easiest thing is keep people from getting sick in the first place, right? So to give you an example, childhood deaths from diarrheal diseases, massive cause of death in children under five. You want to address that. Now, Many, most of our approaches as well, we're going to hire more doctors, build more clinics, have more nurses, and have a lot of medicine ready to treat these kids. Single most effective intervention to avoid that is clean water. You have clean water, 95% of that goes away, right? So why the, the health priority should be to get clean water to those areas, not more medicines or clinics, first and foremost. And uh, so until we start looking at this creatively, and then the question becomes, so how do you get clean water to these areas? Or how do you get electricity to these areas? Social entrepreneurs have some solutions for this, right? Clean energy ways of getting energy there, ways of getting water to these people in a more sustainable way, clean water. So to me, that's why what I mean by, if you know that this is an issue, right? Instead of saying, well, one day we're going to build more pipes, et cetera, to get there, Figure out, does somebody else have a more creative solution today that at scale can solve this problem? And then partner with those people to implement these things because some of their interventions will have a much bigger health impact than any doctors, nurses, or drugs ever will. Right? And so we have to look at this, these issues holistically and then come up with the, the constellation of partners who can bring these solutions to bear. And then we need to implement these very, very aggressively like our lives depend on it because our lives actually do depend on it. Now, most certainly, and I like the fact that you've been quite comprehensive in actually detailing what that particular sum of the value chains might look like. Um, and, you know, the fact that um, everything is uh, is interconnected, right? You know, the one thing leads to the other to the other. And uh, the, especially the analogy about the tap and then mopping up what's actually there because sometimes people I feel like you know listening to you when people talk about uh, pre prevention being the best the best cure this is probably you know everything that you've just detailed to say rather if if you really want to solve some of these big issues go back to the source but if you want to go back to the source there needs to be a lot of cooperation collaboration from you know, people outside of, you know, healthcare, because um, you're talking water, sanitation, you're talking electricity, infrastructure, transport, you know, all of these things that need to be working together because the children that are, children under five that you mentioned just now, um, that end up, uh, you know, having that as uh, one of the biggest reasons for childhood mortality at that age, that seems to be more of a symptom than the, yeah, than the actual problem. So right now, maybe I want to switch and maybe take uh, a view, you know, a more global view. Um, you were at the recently held World Economic Forum in uh, Davos, and, uh, and uh, from what I've read, you know, you were an active participant moderating and also being part of some of uh, the discussions and panels uh, that were happening there. A lot of... Uh, a lot of criticism has been leveled against the platform itself, its efficacy for actually solving issues. Uh, but, you know, very keen to get your sense 
around its place for raising some of these issues, um, especially when it comes to the healthcare, right? Uh, you know, how how do you use a platform like that to advance whatever it is that uh, you guys are doing as Broadreach? Um, so the, the World Economic Forum is, is, I know there's a lot of criticism of it. Some may be valid, but from my experience of actually having been there and participated in it for many years, um, it is simply another forum where world leaders meet, right? And these are people who everyone acknowledges as leaders, whether it's business captains of industry, presidents, ministers, et cetera. So it's a place where they meet and can have a dialogue. And the World Economic Forum in particular pride itself on being able to bring in, for example, dissenting voices, you know, for example, two countries that don't get along, et cetera, where this is a neutral space where people can meet and actually have a dialogue. So there's no agenda per se, uh, other than to let people get together and have conversations. And it's an effective form in the sense that um, you know, people can meet, they can discuss, we can we can truly debate ideas from first principle, and people may agree, disagree, etc. And you'll get all sorts of responses across the spectrum. So I want to demystify it as you know, people think you know everyone's there in black cloaks, you know, with candles at night making <laughs> making confidence. It's absolutely not the case. Um, and anyone who's not been there, I'd, I'd say if, if you can participate, participate, and then have an opinion. That said, uh, I feel it is a quite effective form because everybody's there. A lot of important people are there. These are the people who shape policy, who shape agendas. And um, it's as important for them to hear new ideas as it is to share their ideas about what's happening. And because there's so many different participants, about thousands of different participants, it's not five people in a room, it's thousands of participants who are there. Um, you're going to get all, some people talk about climate, some people talk about water, some people talk about um, healthcare, you know, bank, you know, finance, you, you name it across the board. So much emerges from it. And a lot of it may be just, yes, people have good conversations and then some things might become, um, might be, you, they might use that platform to elevate it, for example, to uh, a United Nations forum, et cetera. But Oh, I feel it's a quite effective forum for surfacing new ideas, uh, discussing things um, with with people sometimes who absolutely don't agree with each other, and that's I think a very healthy healthy thing, in particular in the, where the with where the world is now, that we are talking to each other, even if it means talking to people we we violently disagree with. At least we're talking, not fighting, right? And I think the World Economic Forum is providing that type of um, resource for everybody to still get together and dialogue because we're certainly not going to fix what's wrong with the world if we don't talk, right? And to say somehow that the leaders who we all acknowledge as leaders who we've selected or, you know, you know, there's no doubt that this person is a leader. Oh, they should not get together. I mean, come on, that doesn't make sense. So um, this is just a forum where they do that. And, and, um, and it, it, it's a, it's, it, it can be quite, I think, effective for what it is, which is a neutral platform for sharing. So against that backdrop, then, what were some of the big, uh, I guess it's two things, really. Um, the things that you tried to raise or highlight, you know, at, uh, you know, at the forum. And then secondly, some of the things that perhaps stood out uh, that came out from some of the, what do you call this, from some of the discussions terms of the direction that healthcare is going in globally? 
So for me, uh, when I go to the forum, I'm very, very concerned with the state of Africa, right? And and how what are we doing, and how and how does this benefit the African continent? Um, in that, with that in mind, one of the big themes of of the last, let's say, almost four or five World Economic Forums have been the issue of innovation and technology, right? And how that's changing the world. We talk about the fourth industrial revolution. And Africa has missed the first, second, third industrial revolution. And we don't want to miss the fourth. Um, and I feel very much that at the moment, if I look across the continent, very, very few countries are doing the things that are going to place us at the forefront of the fourth industrial revolution, as opposed to at the at the back of the bus, right? And this is something where we cannot wait and say everybody else is going to get us right, and then of course they're going to come and help us as Africa to catch up, right? That's why we have no jobs for our young people. That's why our economies are, you know, in many cases, you know, um, in very very bad shape. Um, I was, you know, say half jokingly, but it's sadly true. Uh, for if you sitting there right now, Mudiwa, you know, um, of all the things on your body right now, how many of them were made in Africa? Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, I see what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, I would say, you know, and so, so, and the fact that nothing is made, we don't make anything here. This is doubt about the old economy. We, we, we don't really make much. That's why almost everything we're wearing comes from somewhere else, meaning our people don't have jobs. That's why we don't have jobs. So for me, um, it, this issue of the fourth industrial revolution and how we position ourselves as leaders, value creators, people who own intellectual property, right, that creates value in our economies, that creates the jobs, that drives growth is really, really important. So for me, one of my big things when I'm there always is really pushing um, uh, the agenda for the Africans to really step into the leadership role in the fourth industrial revolution. And I feel we're not doing that enough. Rwanda, for example, I think is doing is exemplary in what they're doing, but very, very few other countries are doing it as well as they are. And we should all be doing that um, aggressively. I think the, the second big theme is really related to social entrepreneurialism and social entrepreneurs being seen as a critical part of the equation that's going to get us across the line, not by themselves, in partnership with government, in partnership with private sector, in partnership with other NGOs. But we need to figure out how we start to more formally embrace social entrepreneurs as part of what I call the default way in which we address these problems, right? At the moment, I feel it's like social entrepreneurs are outside the door knocking, saying, hello, this is who I am. You know, please let me in. And they're like, I don't understand who you are, what you're going to do. You know, we're a stepchild who's being held outside the door when this person is literally coming in some cases to you with the cure for cancer, literally, right? But we're not embracing them enough and, and helping them to scale up in a manner that actually helps us solve these problems. So I find we're in this interesting situation where you, you actually, we actually have solution providers, but we make it extremely hard for them to give us the solutions that we're telling them we need. So it's almost like a bit of a, it's, it's, it's very strange that, that we're not moving more aggressively to embrace some of these things. And for, for me, at, in terms of my participation at the World Economic Forum and being on the Schwab Foundation, that identify the primary purpose is to identify and showcase social entrepreneurs and recognize them so that people can partner with them. Um, 
for me, it's very, very important that we continue to sort of um, elevate their profile um, so that people are aware of them, um, understand how to partner with them, demystify what it's about, um, and really, in essence, almost like make it, it, give them an easier calling card so that they're more accepted by governments in particular, but also other large concerns who need their solutions um, to, in order to be able to implement some of these things that we're talking about. So that's been it. So we were having a great discussion around uh, healthcare and the social social entrepreneurship's place, um, you know, within uh, healthcare, trying to solve some of the big issues. Uh, thank you so much. We were talking to uh, Dr. Ernest Darko, who is a co-founder of the Broadreach Group and a board director of the Schwab Foundation for Social Entrepreneurship, uh, talking us through some of the big issues uh, affecting healthcare locally and then how social entrepreneurship is helping uh, to find solutions, you know, on the different sides um, of uh, the equation and also at the same time how uh, forums like the World Economic Forum can actually help to surface uh, solutions, bring people together and actually walk uh, towards a better future. Dr. Ernest, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. This is Mudiwa's Take. Great discussion uh, with uh, Dr. Uh, Darko um, around uh, social entrepreneurship. It is a very interesting concept and one of the things that I like about it is that it tends to bridge the gap uh, between what's going on in the private sector and what's going on in the philanthropic slash uh, non-government organization or non or non-profit sector um, where you're saying okay fine we have to address these big challenges um, in our society the work that your NPOs and NGOs would do but you have sustainable business models where people actually can make a surplus from uh, business activities and then that money is then used and filtered into the projects that are actually helping greater society and its needs. So uh, great to see all of that happening on that end. And for an organization like Broadridge to have been in place uh, for the decades that they have means uh, they've probably cracked the code uh, when it comes to some of those solutions. Going forward, it will be good to see how social entrepreneurship, social enterprise um, can be used to affect uh, the big issues in South Africa that we keep talking about unemployment, uh, inequality, poverty, education, and the like, and how we can help uh, to create sustainable business models around all of that. And that's been it for this edition of the Business Day Spotlight. Remember that you can find our latest podcast on Business Live. That's under the podcast Business Day Spotlight tab on Twitter. We're hashtag BD Spotlight. And remember that you can review and subscribe for free on iono.fm, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, or wherever you choose to get your pods casted. Thank you to our amazing team. Our producer is Paige Muller. I've been Mudio Gavaza of the Business Day and Financial Mail. And this has been another edition of the Business Day Spotlight which is a multimedia live production. So for myself and the rest of the team, it is a good evening, good afternoon, and good morning.